First Corinthians chapter one. Slow it goes, but we're making it. We're making some headway. <clears throat> uh, we've we've got through verse, well, kind of at, through verse two, and so I just want to read as as we uh, uh, open up God's word the first three verses of First Corinthians chapter one. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at this idea of our understanding God's church and understanding our calling. And we covered understanding God's church a couple of weeks ago, and we understand. Um, a little bit about the church, a little bit more than hopefully what we understood before. We understand that the word church, ecclesia, means called out ones. We're called out from the world. First Peter chapter 2 says that we are uh, once were not a people, but now you are God's people. And so God has called us to be his very own. Uh, we define the church this way. The church is not a physical building, but a group of believers, not a denomination or sect or association, but a spiritual body. The church is not an organization, but a communion, a fellowship that includes believers. And so we just want to be clear on what the, the church is. And we looked at two phases of the church. First, we looked at the, the universal church. You see it there in verse 2, the church of God. That speaks of the universal nature of the church. It's all around the world. There's not a place probably in the world where the church does not exist in that form. Because there's believers pretty much everywhere. There may not be a lot in some countries, but there's more than likely at least one. And if there isn't, then we need to continue to fulfill the Great Commission and send people there to share with them the gospel so that there it can be extended to that area. But the universal church, we learned, spoke about the body of Christ. All believers. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It's not a denominational uh, thing. It's, it's, it's based on those who are part of Uh, Christ's body, the body that has had their sins forgiven by his sacrifice. And then secondly, we looked at the local church. We said there in verse 2, it says the church of God, that's the universal church. And then he says that is in Corinth. That was a local church, just like this church is a local church. Just like the street down, or the church down the street is a local church. A local church is a smaller group of believers that come together to worship, fellowship, receive teaching from the Bible, and evangelize in that local area. And so we've looked at different aspects of, of the church. Now, last week, we understood that, that the church is those who are called out to do that. And then secondly, last week, we looked at the consecration. Not just the church we see here, but we see the consecration. And he says here in verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And we went over that in depth. But that word sanctified right there, means to separate. It's the same word, basically root word, that we get the word saint from. And we talked a little bit about that. But we talked about that word, and we said that it's in the perfect tense. In other words, it's something that was completed in the past with ongoing results. So we were sanctified in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But we also said that it's in a passive voice. And what that means simply is that it's due to something outside of yourself. This kind of sanctification can't come from yourself. 
You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm just going to set myself apart. (laughs) No. God has to be the one, beloved, that sets your life apart onto him. It's called salvation. It's the work of salvation in the life of an individual. And so it's in the perfect tense. It's something that's completed in the past, the sanctification here, being sanctified in Christ Jesus. And it's also something that's done to us by God. Uh, We said holiness in the positional sense is not a matter of good works or holy of holy living. Holiness is a matter of righteous standing before God. So many times, even in the day you go through the Gospels, you see in the time of Christ, you had the Pharisees and you had the religious leaders. What? They thought themselves to be holy. Why? Because of what they did or the way they dressed or how they spoke or how they prayed. And they wanted everybody to look at them and say, oh, look at how holy they are. But see, this kind of holiness is speaking of holiness in a positional sense. It's a matter of having a right standing before God. Being uh, holy before God can't come from ourselves. It has to be him setting us apart. And so we looked at all that last week. You can get the message online if, if you'd like to do that and catch up. But today we want to look at the call, because we didn't get quite to this last week, because he says there in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Notice it says Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. And we talked about the reason why, because Jesus Christ wasn't his name. It wasn't like his first name and his last name. It's a title. Christ is a title. It means Messiah, appointed, anointed one. And so when when you look at that, Without Christ, without Jesus being the Messiah, he couldn't have provided salvation for anyone. He would have died on a cross just like everybody else died on a cross in his day. But because he was the Messiah, he was God himself in the flesh, the perfect lamb of God, he was able to secure our salvation as a result of that. And so it says they're called to be saints together, called to be saints together together. The idea that we are called to be saints. We joked last week and said we can call each other saint. Saint Stephen, Saint Mary, Saint whoever. That's fine to do that if you understand the proper meaning of the word. It doesn't mean people have to bow down to you or kiss your ring. We're not talking about that kind of saint. We're talking about someone who's been set apart by God himself. And so it's, it's very important that we look at this, this call because you probably realize, as I understand from what they say, most people in America and even worldwide, there's a lot of people that identify themselves as Christians. If you ask people just on the street, are you, do you have any faith? Are you a Christian? A majority of them would say yes. But how many of them could explain or define or defend the gospel? How many of them could actually articulate in their own words basic biblical theology? How many of them or the lives that they're represented by that, their lives could support their claims of Christianity? See, the tragic fact is that compared to the vast number of people who claim to be Christians, even in our own country, even in our own city, Very few are actually growing 
to be more like Christ. And that's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian does. That process of spiritual growth is called sanctification. It's a big word, but it just means you're growing as a Christian. Sanctification. It means you're being set apart more and more in your life. It's a vital part of every believer's walk, of every believer's life. Now, with that being said, it's important to understand what the difference is. How do we distinguish sanctification? What is sanctification? What isn't sanctification? I want to, you know, what, what, what it's not. I, it's very important that we understand a proper meaning of sanctification. Sanctification is not simply feeling closer to God. That's not what sanctification is. Sanctification is not experiencing his presence. That's not what sanctification is. It's not a collection of secret insights and personal encouragements from him to you. That's not what sanctification is. It's not a vague sense of spirituality that's just subject to yourself. In fact, it's not measured, engaged, or informed by your emotions or your feelings at all. True sanctification, according to the scriptures, is the process of God transforming his work in your life. True sanctification is the process. Hear that word. It's a process that God continues to do in your life, transforming it. See, in the moment that you are saved, in the moment you declare your salvation in Christ, the moment you say, you know what, God, I give up, Lord, save me. In that moment, you are declared, listen, justified by the Lord through the sacrifice of his son. And what does that justification do? It frees you from the guilt of sin. Justification is another big word, and basically it it has the idea of having a right standing before God. If you're justified before God, you can stand before God without being guilty of anything. And so when you stop and you think of sanctification and you think of justification, we want to kind of make sure we understand what each one is. Sanctification frees you from the pollution of sin. It helps you destroy sinful, maybe, patterns of behavior in your life that are not honoring to the Lord. It helps relinquish you from any former wickedness that maybe you partook of before you became a Christian. And just as with salvation, sanctification is not accomplished by our own will or our actions. It's the work of the Lord in the lives of his people. If you look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes this, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. He may sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. And guess what? He will also bring it to pass. See, sanctification is not something that's in and of yourself. Now, do we play a part in it? In the, in the second phase of sanctification, yes, we do. 
And we'll be talking about that in just a few moments. The word translated there in 1 Thessalonians as sanctified literally means to set apart, just like over in 1 Corinthians. In its noun form, it's usually translated as holiness. Paul loved this word. He loved the word sanctify. He loved the word holiness. He uses it over 60 times. So in the basic terms, sanctification is the Lord's process of separating from us from sin and setting us apart onto holiness. And that's what Paul's prayer, Paul's prayer here is that the Lord would bring about this transformation in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. That their lives would reflect a decreasing frequency of sin and an increasing frequency of holiness. I mean, it'd be wonderful if the day you got saved, you were rid of all sin in your life and you never sinned again and you walked, you know, you could walk on water. It's just perfect. But that's not reality. Reality is you're left here in a sin-stained world, in a sin-stained body, a physical body. You're bombarded daily by sin on every front. And yet God calls you holy. Why? Because he sets you apart. It's not based on our emotions. It's not based on our actions. It isn't prompted or fueled by feelings, emotions, or some subjective spiritual experience that you have. How many times have you gone away to a retreat and you... Maybe you talk to somebody or maybe someone else has gone away on a retreat, a spiritual retreat, and they come back. How was it? Oh, I just felt so close to God. I just, I just, and they talk about their feelings. And that's okay. God gave us feelings. But if you're going to live by your feelings, you're going to be in for a train wreck of a life. Why? Because your feelings go up and down. You know, I've met people that go away on retreats and they come back and all they do for three weeks is whine that they're not on the retreat anymore. They're back, you know, I got to deal with all this stuff. I wish I was back up on the mountaintop. <laughs> Didn't have to worry about any of this stuff. Well, that's not real life. See, real life calls us to get down and get dirty, get down in the trenches and, and roll up our sleeves and say, okay, Lord, how can I make a difference here? How can I import part just a small kind of sliver of your holiness into this society. That's what God wants us to do. As Paul says in in Romans chapter 6, it's a function of our new nature in Christ. He says in Romans uh, 6 verse 12, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, he's talking to believers, so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting your members of your body as instruments to sin, of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. But thanks be to God that though you were, past tense, slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know, before you're a believer, what are you? You're a slave to sin. The Bible, that's how it depicts us. That's why I laugh when people say, oh, well, don't you believe in free will? No. Why? Because the Bible says, before you were a Christian, what were you? You were a slave to sin. I've never talked to a slave of anybody, of anything, that said, oh, yeah, it's, you know, being a slave is so much fun, I can do whatever I want. No. A slave is subject to what? The master. 
And the Bible says that before you become to Christ, who is your master? Sin. After you become a Christian, who is your master? Christ. So now, do we have a a choice? Do we have a volition? Does God use that? Yes, sure he does. I'm not saying we're robots by any means. But sanctification is the fruit of our salvation. Once we are saved, we are sanctified. We're set apart by God. It's that transforming process by which God's people shed their past sinfulness and they grow to reflect his holiness. It's the process by which God's people shed their past sinfulness and grow to reflect his holiness. See, if you truly belong to Christ, if you truly belong to God, you're undergoing the process of sanctification right now, just like I am. We're continually being molded and shaped and and, and worked into the image of Christ, God's Son. Our calling to holiness speaks of our practice before God, holy living. We refer to this as our sanctification. And we want to look a little bit more about this word sanctification. Like I said, it just means separation. It means separation from the believer from evil onto holiness. It means separation from doing your own thing as being obedient to God's word. And so our, our, our sanctification is something we call progressive. It's not just doesn't all happen at once. There's different phases of sanctification. Progressive sanctification is that sanctification that gradually separates the people of God from the world and makes them more like Jesus Christ. You know, if we went around the the, the room here and said, how long have you been a Christian? Share your testimony. And we could have people share their testimonies probably for the rest of the day if we wanted to. And each one would be different. And each believer here would be probably saved longer or shorter, or some may a couple months, maybe a couple years, maybe a couple decades. But see, the way to monitor your holiness or your Christ-likeness is not by the number of years you've been saved. We've all met Christians like that. Well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. You can't teach me anything. <laughs> well, they need to be taught, people like that. And Christ is trying to teach them. God is trying to teach them. But a lot of times they're not willing because they have a spiritual pride built up within them. See, the more we become a Christian, the more, the more we walk, I guess I should say, in our Christian walk, the more we become like Christ. And the more we become like Christ, guess what? Our sinfulness becomes more evident. You would think, wow, the more you become like Christ, that your sin you, you would think you'd be perfect. No, because God magnifies in the presence of Christ's holiness, even the smallest little sin in our lives. And we've all gone through that. You know, sometimes, you know, right after you got saved, maybe you were still drinking or doing whatever, carousing around and, and God through his sanctifying process showed you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this as a believer. That's not a good testimony. And slowly those things may be faded out of your life. And so now you can come to church and, you know, speak respectfully and act respectfully. But that doesn't mean you're sinless. None of us are sinless. We probably all sin in a myriad of ways each and every day. And see, God is trying to slowly make us more like Christ. And that's called progressive sanctification. Now, sanctification differs 
from justification, okay, in a couple ways. It's important you understand this. Justification is a one-time work of God. Just think of you going before a judge and he'll stamp in your, your, your ticket, paid in full. Well, you don't have to go back two weeks and beg for the judge to give you, you know, more lenient. No, it's done. The court case is gone. That's justification. It happens once. It's a one-time work of God resulting in God declaring you not guilty before him. See, that's a glorious thing. And he doesn't just do that because you're a nice person. (laughs) Okay? He has a process. He basically says, you know what? If you're willing to put your faith, your trust in the sacrifice of my son on Calvary, on the cross, for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, then I will justify you. I will stamp you not guilty. But it's not because you're a nice guy. It's because of what my son did. It all goes back to Christ. So it's a one-time work of God, whereas sanctification is a process. Well, when does the process begin? Well, the process really begins at justification. It begins when we're justified before God, and it continues throughout our life. So if you're not a believer here today, the first step is going to God and saying, hey, God, save me, help me. Forgive my sin. I don't want to carry this burden of sin around anymore. I hear that your son paid the the price for my sin on Calvary. I want to put my faith and trust in him. He's my creator. He's my God. I'm sure he knows a lot more about me than I do. Why wouldn't you trust somebody like that for your salvation? And so when you do that, God stamps you not guilty. You're justified. And then he says, now we get to work. (laughs) And we start the process of sanctification. Justification is the starting point of the line that represents one's Christian life. We can all go around the room, as I said, and say, when did you come to Christ? Well, I came to Christ, and, and you have a, you know, a general idea, or maybe you have a date or a specific time even. Well, that's when justification happened, and it starts a line, and that line that goes until the Lord comes back is called sanctification. God's constantly forming us, molding us into his image. So there's three stages of the sanctification process. There's past, present, and future. It's pretty simple to understand. It's not hard. You have positional sanctification, you have progressive sanctification, and you have eternal sanctification. Well, let's look at these in a, in a couple minutes a little more in depth. But positional and eternal sanctification, the two outside ones, one and three, are entirely the work of God. That's the passive aspect of it. It's him doing that to you. Whereas the second phase, the present day sanctification, the progressive sanctification, that requires our cooperation. So if God is trying to make us more like Christ and we're fighting and we're sin- saying, no, we, I, I want to go sin. And God's saying, no, I don't think that's a good thing. It's not good. You know, I'm going to strip that away from you, but you're holding on to it. Okay, there's going to be some disciplinary actions that God has to affect in your life to pry your white-knuckled hands off of that sin. It's called discipline. That's what God does to his children. He doesn't punish them. He disciplines them. It's a big difference, right? So many times believers think that they're being punished by God. And I'm thinking if they think they're being punished by God, they don't understand what being a believer is. 
right? Because being a believer is what? It starts at what? Justification. What is justification? God stamping you not guilty. Completely righteous in Christ. So for God to have, if he was going to punish you, he would have to punish his own son. It it couldn't do that because we're one with Christ. And so he doesn't punish believers. He doesn't punish his children. He what? He disciplines them. Why? Because they're not cooperating with the process of sanctification. They're not going along with the program. God is trying to make you more like Christ, and you're saying, I want this, I want that. And you're, you're fighting it. And he's trying to drag you along. And, and, you know, to make things even worse, we think somehow that this fight, we have a, a, you know, a chance of winning. We don't. Because we read the scripture earlier, right? God is able to complete it. He will complete whatever he starts. His purpose for you as a Christian from justification to all eternity is what? Is to make you like his son completely in every way. And one day he will accomplish that. But sometimes it's a little tough. It's hard. It's a process. In Romans chapter 1 verses 8 or verses uh, in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 11, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 11, Paul talks about this positional sanctification as we have union with Christ, that we are justified, that we've been declared righteous. And then he describes how the sanctification is worked out progressively in the life of the believer. Just You can turn there or you can just listen as I read from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? No condemnation. So if you're feeling condemnation, you're not feeling it from God if you're in Christ. You're feeling it from yourself. You're feeling it from some other source. And that's where we have to remember, who are we playing to? We're playing to the audience of what? We're playing to the audience of one. We are playing to the audience of God and God alone. doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. doesn't matter what your wife thinks. doesn't matter what I, anything like that when it comes to your spirituality. If you're doing what God wants you to do, all those other things will work out. So he says, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, look at this, has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're in Christ. We're justified. We're set free. Verse 3, for what the law could not do. Do you understand you couldn't keep the law enough to be saved? That's not why God gave the law. The God gave the law, the Bible says, to convict us of our sin. He didn't give us the law to say, here are 10 things. If you do all these 10 things good, you're good to go to heaven. No. First of all, you couldn't do all 10 things good all the time. And the Bible says, if you just break the law in one little area, well, you fudge the whole thing. It's the game over. So for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God, look at that, did. He did it. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Look, in us. In who? In believers who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
There's a lot of Christians that are mixed up if they're, they, you know, either they think they're a Christian or they're confused about their Christianity or they're not secure. It's very simple. What is your mindset on? Are you continually thinking about things of the world, things of the flesh, or are you continually thinking about things of the spirit? That's, that's a very easy test to give yourself. He says, verse six, for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, this is what's so sad about the world we live in. We're filled with a world who's seeking to please God. Somehow they are. All these world religions, what are they trying to do? They're trying to please their deity. And God is saying, you know what? I'm not pleased by this stuff. Because it's all in the flesh. It's not doing it according to my plan. You know, sometimes, you ever delegated something to somebody? And you kind of delegate it and you say, hey, look, you know, here, just follow steps one, two, and three. And you'll be fine. And this would be the outcome and everybody would be happy. And there's some people, for whatever reason, it's just not within their nature to follow directions. So, you, you know, you train them, you do whatever, and, you know, you walk away for a couple minutes, you come back, it's like, okay, what are you doing? Well, why are you doing step three here? You, you haven't even done step one or two. Well, I thought this would be easier. You know? No, it's not easier. You know, they got to come up with their own way. That's how the world is. God has given us a very simple path to salvation, has he not? Jesus said himself, I'm the way, the truth, the life, right? Anyone who puts his faith and trust in me comes to the Father. It's, it's very simple. We don't have to make it complicated. But what does the world do? Well, they complicate everything. But notice what he says here. If, if you're trying to do things in the flesh, you're not going to please God. He's not going to be looked down and go, Why, you know, I'm, I'm pulling for you. I know you're really trying hard, you know. No, that's displeasing to God. However, in verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, speaking to Christians, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have that convicting spirit of Christ in your life, you're probably not a believer. And even if you're trying to live a Christian life, you're really going to be miserable. You're going to be frustrated. Why? Because you're trying to do something spiritual that can't be done. (laughs) And sometimes you just got to pull back and give up and say, you know what? I'm tired of playing this religion game. I'm tired of doing all this stuff just to get a hug from God thinking that, boy, if I go to church and I pray longer and I pray harder and and, and help more people that somehow God is going to give me a bigger hug in the end. No, it's not based on that. It's based on what? It's based on the merits of Christ. It's based on his sacrifice on Calvary on our behalf. And that's what he's pointing out here. He says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, we live in dead bodies. You may not like to think of it that way, but we do. This flesh is going by the wayside quickly. Some of you who are older can attest to that. It doesn't move the way it should. You know, that's just the way it is. You got a little more aches and pains. That's what's going to happen. Everything is degenerating. He says, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. It is so incredible when I, sometimes even at the, at the uh, over at Brookdale, when we go there and we minister to these people. Okay, these are, these are people, some of them are on the edge of death. 
But you look in their eye and you see a glimmer because they know the Lord and they're excited. They're, you know, they can't even get around some of them, but you know what? They just have a, a, just a way about them. And they realize that, yeah, okay. So what? I may be dead in a week, but today I'm breathing and I want to make a difference for Christ. That is a, just a, such a blessing to, to be around people like that. And that's what he's saying here. He says, Hey, yeah, you live in a dead body, but you know what? You're alive because the spirit is alive. And then he says in verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, look at this, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is that? It's talking about that process that we're going through right now. I mean, just the word process is not a good word. You know, when you go to the doctor and you say, hey, is there any hope? Well, yeah. But it's going to be a process. You know, you're going, oh, man, I'm not looking forward to that. You know, you don't, you don't like processes like that. And, and so that's what this is. It's, it's a process of Christ making us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first stage there is positional sanctification. This is something that happens in the past. Okay, it's positional sanctification. This is where the justification part came in that we talked about. That's when the sanctification process starts. At salvation, believers are justified. They're declared righteous in conformity to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29, he says, For uh, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's entirely a work of, of God. That's something that God does to you that begins our Christian lives. It's that initial change of morality. It it changes us. It breaks us from the power and the love of sin. It's that point at which believers can count themselves, as Romans 6 says, dead to sin but alive to God. Or in verse 14 of Romans 6, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Or in verses 17 to 18 of Romans 6, he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from God, you become slaves of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 3 speaks of this in verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, those who are set apart, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified, Hebrews 10, 10 says, through the offering of the body of Christ for all. So, that, that initial sanctification, that positional sanctification is something that happens at one time. But there's another stage to sanctification. That's progressive sanctification, or some people call it experiential sanctification. It talks about our spiritual maturity in Christ. 
It talks about not being the same person you were the day you got saved. I mean, there's some Christians, God bless them, you know, they, they haven't changed at all. And yet they're running around naming the name of Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, tell me about your spiritual journey. Well, what do you mean? Well, tell me your testimony. Oh, well, yeah, I got saved when I was in fifth grade. Okay. Well, yeah, what else do you want to know? Well, what has God done in your life? Well, I go to church. <laughs> no, I'm not asking about whether you go to church. Are you becoming more like Christ? Well, I guess so. You guess so. If you don't know so, you've got a problem. I mean, if you can't discern in your own life whether you're becoming more Christ-like on a daily basis, there's something wrong. There really is. Because it's such a, a line of demarcation in somebody's life. Cracks me up sometimes you have people come to you and say, oh, yeah, I'm so happy, you know, my husband or my wife or my sibling or my child came to Christ. It's so great. Can they get baptized? It's like, well, let's see what happens. What do you mean? Well, how do you know they're really saved? Well, they said the prayer. Well, I don't care. Saying a prayer doesn't save you. Where would you, where would you see that in the Bible? Well, no, but they prayed the sinner's prayer. Okay, where do you see that in the Bible? Where do you see Jesus having people follow him and him stopping and saying, okay, if you want to follow me, well, just say this prayer. Bow your head, I'll lead you. <laughs> you don't see that anywhere. So we have a mixed up idea of what salvation is. But see, when you can wait and you see God transforming somebody's life, when all of a sudden, you know, the idea of, of Monday or Sunday morning football games go out the window and they're like, no, I'm going to church. What do you mean you're going to church? You're not going to stay home, you know, and watch your football games? No, I'm a new believer in Christ. I need to grow. That's a, that's a, a line of demarcation. You see changes affected in somebody's life. See, the goal of all this, the goal of, of sanctification is what? It's Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. The result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is producing godliness in the life of every believer. It's becoming an experience what we are positionally in Christ. That's what sanctification is. The Holy Spirit operates in believers to free them experientially from the power of sin and death. Romans tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this second stage of sanctification, progressive sanctification, it takes a lifetime. It's not something you're going you're to conquer in a week. As we grow in grace, we gradually but we steadily change. Changing to become more like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being, listen, transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. In other words, he's just slowly ratcheting it up. He's glorifying us even before our eyes. We're not there yet, but the process is happening. And then he closes in, in verse 18 there, 2 Corinthians 3. He says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Colossians chapter 3.10 says, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed, has an idea of a continuous action. It's not something that just happens once. It, it continues. Or in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul says in verse 12, he says, Hey, I haven't arrived. I haven't reached, reached perfecting yet. But the one thing I know, I'm going to press on to attain everything that Christ desires for me. That's what he says. See, that's the progress of sanctification, the process that we grow spiritually in our walk with Christ. Well, guess what? It doesn't just happen automatically, and it doesn't happen easily. Because whenever there's a process going on, guess what? There's things that are working against that process. We live in a fallen world. This process in our Christian walks is marked by conflict. It's marked by spiritual warfare. Why? Because our new life in Christ now is on a collision course with the world and everything around us. It's opposed by Satan. It's fought by the sinful nature even within us. Our sinful bodies are are just by nature. They're given to sin. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that produces that tension, that conflict in our lives. The things that you could do before and you wouldn't even give it a second thought. All of a sudden, now that you're in Christ and you possess the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, uh-uh, you ain't going down that road. I don't want you doing that. That's not a good representation of who you are in Christ. Stop. And you feel convicted. And that's God completing this, this sanctification process, doing this process in our lives. That conflict is going to be there in the life of a believer. And it's not proof of of anything other than the evidence that God is working in your life. I mean, I am so happy when I run into a believer and I'll say, how's it going? Oh, man, this past week, I've just really struggled in a lot of areas. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing. That's like, whoa, amen, good. You know, I'm tired of hearing, oh, great, I am doing wonderful, man. You know, even when I, when I went out in the pool the other day, I walked on the water, man. I am just so blessed. That's fantasy land. That's fantasy land. You're not going to have that this side of glory. You know, but when you're honest and you realize you're struggling, that's the conflict that Paul talks about. And see, it should be a glorious conflict. We should welcome it. We should say, yes, Jesus, do that work in my heart. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. That's why Paul says in three, hey, not that I've already obtained this or made perfect because I'm not. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, by the way. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for Christ likeness. Progressive sanctification is accomplished by the Holy Spirit as the believer is filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit as a result of having no unconfessed sin in his life. See, it's not that you're not going to sin, but why let sin linger? The moment you're convicted of sin, just go to God and say, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry. I blew it. You know, the Holy Spirit, take control of my life again. Because I guarantee you one thing is as a Christian, if you're sinning, The Holy Spirit is not in control of your life. Because if the Holy Spirit were in control of your life at that moment in time, you would not sin. See, that's why in Ephesians it says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol. 
but be controlled, be filled, that's the word, with the Holy Spirit. And, and when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're actually doing things that God wants us to do. We're doing things that God desires of us. And we're living a blessed life as a result. Yeah, we fall off the wagon, we sin again, whatever. But that's why First John says what? If we, if we sin, confess our sins. Why? Because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious statement. See, we don't confess our sins to be forgiven. What if you were in a state of sin as a Christian and you just died and you couldn't confess your sin? Would that mean you'd go to hell? No. You don't confess your sins to be forgiven by God. You confess your sins as an acknowledgement before a holy God that you blew it. God, I am sorry. Basically, confess means to say the same thing. When you're confessing something, when you're confessing sin, you're looking at your sin and you're going, you know what, God, I'm seeing my sin as you see it. And it's not good. And I don't want to do it anymore. That's what confession is. And God says, yeah, I know. Move on. You're already forgiven. You're already righteous in Christ. See, what the, what the, the enemy plays a game with us. It's like a shell game. So as a Christian, when we sin, what does the enemy do? He, oh, now I got him down. Yeah, I'm going to make him feel bad. I'm going to make him feel worse. Even though he's confessed it. You know, you're not worthy. You can't go to church anymore, man. You're, you're caught up in sin. You know, you did that thing last week, remember that? And he won't let it go. And he'll continue to what? What is he called? He's called the accuser, what, of the brethren. Well, guess what? We have a wonderful mediator that's up there standing between him and God the Father saying, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Stop. He's saved. He's justified. All of his sins are forgiven. What a glorious place to be. Well, the last one here quickly is eternal sanctification. Eternal sanctification. So we have, at the beginning, positional sanctification happens in the past. Something done by God. We have progressive sanctification. It's God making us holy each and every day through the process of the Holy Spirit, through learning the word, through fellowshipping with believers, all those things. That's something that we cooperate with, God's work. And the last one, eternal sanctification, is also something God does. It's him glorifying us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, Paul said this, so that he might present the church, who's the church? Those who are called out, those who are believers, to himself. Listen to this, in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle. You know, I talked to somebody this morning, they said, I said, they asked me how I was doing, I'm "I'm doing all right. And they said, well, you look pretty straight. They were talking about, I said, well, that's good, I guess, you know. My wife dressed me this morning, that's great. You know, she ironed the things, got everything right. Yeah, that's, that's what this is speaking of. Without spot or wrinkle. Wouldn't it be a glorious thing to be able to wake up every day and just go to the closet? Not have to worry about wrinkles. Whatever you put on, it's going to look wonderful. Well, we're coming for that day. That she might be holy and without blemish. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about eternal sanctification. That's what we are yearning for. That's what we are longing for. First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3 John writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? We're in the process. But, love this, we know that when he appears, look at this, we shall be like him. 
Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, as Christians, beloved, we should live holy lives. We're called to holiness. But living holy lives does not make us holy. There's a lot of people that think that. True sanctification, according to Scripture, is the process of God. Remember, transforming your, his, his work in your life. That's what sanctification is. This is a thing that happens in the future. When believers die, their spirits go to be with Christ. Since nothing unclean can enter heaven, we must be made holy at some point. These bodies have to be transformed. He talks about that in the scriptures. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, Who will transform our lowly body? To be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And we'll close with this set of verses here in 1 Corinthians because it's, it's such a glorious part of the book. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 35 to 49, Paul writes, but someone will ask, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-five. but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they uh, come? Verse 36. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps a wheat or of some other grain. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another kind for birds and a fish. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is of heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as, and as is the man of heaven, so we are those who are of heaven. Just as we have born the image of the man of dust that's, and shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's Christ. See, God's work of sanctification is a continuous process. And he works all these things together for his good pleasure, the Bible says. And our role in the process is both passive and active. Passively, we're to trust God to sanctify us. We're to present our bodies, Romans uh, 6, Romans 12 says, present our bodies before God. But it's also important that we understand that we, are, we play an active role in that. 
And that's why we, we come together as a body of Christ. That's why we believe that when we come under the teaching of the word of God, it, it helps that sanctification process happen. And see, if you emphasize either one more than the other with the passive or the active, you're going to get into trouble. To emphasize the passive role, well, I'm just going to let God do a sanctifying work in my life. What does that lead to? It leads to spiritual laziness. Well, you're saying that God's going to save me ultimately. Why do I even have to go to church? Why do I have to do anything? It, 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 it ends in a neglect of spiritual discipline. But the end result of that is, a, is a, a lack of maturity. And you see it all the times in people in the church, in lives, in people within the church. They're not mature spiritually. Why? Because they've taken a passive role concerning their sanctification. But on the other hand, to emphasize the active role, that can lead to legalism. That can lead to pride. That can lead to self-righteousness. Look what I'm doing. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. And the result of that is a joyless Christian life. See, we have to remember, beloved, that we are to pursue holiness with every fiber of our being. But we only do it as God empowers us to do so. And when we do that, the end result is a consistent, mature Christian life that faithfully reflects and represents the nature of our holy God. I mean, I love Philippians chapter 1 where Paul writes, and I'm closing with this verse, in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, who was that? That was God, that was Christ. He who began a good work in you, in Christians, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, glorious truth that we can count on, that God is not done with us yet. Even though sometimes we feel weary, we feel worn, we feel tired, God is continuing to work out that process of sanctification, making us, molding us, shaping us more into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that I pray that it would edify, that it would build up the believers here this morning. Lord, that they could walk out of here realizing that you're not done with them yet. You've you got a lot of work to do in all of us to make us more like your son, to conform us more into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we would roll up our sleeves and cooperate in that process, that we wouldn't be whining and crying and and wimping out, but Lord, that we would have the idea of the Apostle Paul that you're going to complete this work, God, and you're going to be able to do it. As Ken read this, this morning, he is able to do far abundantly beyond what we are even able to perceive or think. Father, if there's someone here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that, what are they waiting for? I pray that they would cry out to you. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He, God wants to rid you of that burden of sin you've been carrying around. And he wants to put on you the, the glory of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to come to him. You have to ask You have to be willing to bow your knee to him as Lord and Savior. Cry out to him even now. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer when prayed from a sincere heart that God will answer. And he will change you. He will transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that burden of sin will be removed. And you will be, have yourself... 
deposited with the Holy Spirit of God within you. Lord, we pray for our food next door. We pray for our fellowship. Pray that you just give us a good remainder of the day. We pray for our upcoming week that we would live in ways that are honoring to you, that we'd reach out to those who've yet to hear, that we would see many come to Christ through the ministry of this church, through the radio program, through other ministries. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.